Well, good morning, everyone. I trust that you will be encouraged by our time here together as we open God's word and seek his guidance and his direction in our lives. To him be all praise and glory and honor. Please join with me, if you would, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we offer thanks to you that you are, in fact, in control of all things. We look around us at times and we um, can be uh, brought to despair and things, but we recognize that your plan and your process uh, will will come forth as as you have intended it. So we thank you, Lord, that you are in fact in control, that you allow various things to happen, but uh, ultimately you control the parameters of what people may and may not do. And Lord, we offer thanks to you for that. We thank you, Lord, for your word that we can look into, that we can see how you have operated throughout the generations. We thank you for, for salvation, Lord, that you offer to all who are willing to accept it, and Lord, we pray for your guidance as we look into your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the more I reflect on the experiences and conditions over my lifetime, the more I'm convinced that we are very much manipulated by lies and fear, and more lies and more fear, and more lies and more fear. When I was in high school in the mid-70s, we were headed, we were told, for another ice age. Did that happen? We were also headed for, by the year 2000, the end of our oil supply. Did that happen? By the year 2020, we were told we would be, our natural gas reserves would all be gone. Did that happen? We were in, they told us, an energy crisis. If there's anyone here about my age or older, do you remember the energy crisis that never happened? It seems we still have lots of petroleum. In fact, I noticed that last year uh, in May, the price of oil went down to negative $14 a barrel. Did anybody remember getting paid to fill up at the pump? At the national and international level, lies seem to be the foundation of policy making. A few well-documented conspiracies perpetrated by our neighbors to the south. You can look into at your leisure. I'm just trying to find my cursor here. Excuse me. There we go. One of them was called Operation Paperclip. If you want to look into that, please feel free to do so. There's lots of information online about that. Another one was called Operation Mockingbird. Operation Mockingbird was an operation that was put in place to manipulate the media to make sure that the government narrative was, was promoted in the, in the mainstream media. Uh, one such operation that was intended to dupe the American people into going to war with Cuba which was approved by the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the Pentagon, but it was vetoed by the Kennedy administration, was called Operation Northwoods. The Bay of Tonkin incident was a fictitious event that drew America into war in Vietnam. The well-publicized event never happened. How many people died as a result of this false information? Iraq was invaded on the pretext that there were weapons of mass destruction, but weapons of mass destruction were never found. How many people died as a result? Some of our politically connected governors on a global, 
national and sometimes local level endure one scandal after another and yet nothing substantial appears to be done. The biblical directive not to be entangled in worldly matters to the detriment of our spiritual life is advice well taken. In spite of all the scheming, the plotting, and the conspiring, we will see how God is completely in control. Psalm 2 is very illuminating in this regard, for in Psalm 2 we find the source of the lies that shape the world and the outcome of the participants in those lies. The lies by which fear mongers direct public perception and public policy. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? As in the first psalm, we have the entirety of the world defined as two distinct types of people, those who, on the one hand, those who reverence and follow God and his word, and those who oppose God and his word. There is no third category. And if we have trusted Christ as our only hope of eternal salvation, we are on the side of those who trust God and his word, however haltingly or stumbling we may be on our way, our relationship with Christ is just that. It is a relationship, and relationships take time and effort to develop through the various experiences of our lives. Maturity, spiritual maturity, is not instantaneous. Even though our security in Christ is instantaneous, as is our our eternal life that we we receive the moment we believe. The heathen in this first verse are those who do not know God, and they do not pretend to know him the forthright unbeliever or follower of a false religious system, which ultimately is a satanic counterfeit. The people mentioned here are the Jewish unbelievers who pretend to follow God or profess to be the people of God due to natural birthright, but in fact they oppose God and Christ and God's word. Turn, if you would, to Acts 4.23, and we'll see an explanation of these very first few verses that we just read in Psalm 2. Now this incident in Acts chapter 4 is after John and Peter had, had just healed a man. They were called on the carpet by the Jewish authorities, and after being threatened, they were let go. And it continues in verse 23 of chapter 4 in Acts. It says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, who by your mouth, or by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? That's a direct quote from Psalm 2. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against your holy child Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatever your hand and your counsel determined before to be done. So this Acts reference explains directly who the heathen and the people of Psalm 2 are specifically. And if we look carefully, we'll find that the scripture always explains itself. 
We really need no other authority. And in fact, Jesus never referred to any authority except the word of God to defend his teaching or to teach at all. And we do well to follow the same principle. Going on to verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And what do they want to do, these rulers and these who have conspired together? They want to disregard God's directives contained in his word and make their own rules or possibly follow no rules at all. Each person doing what is right in their own eyes. Does that sound like today? Is there anything going on in the world today that sounds like this? It seems to me that almost everything that's popularly publicized in the world goes along with this. And what do we call it when people agree together to do some criminal or rebellious action against established authority? It's called conspiracy. It seems to me that the very ones who conspire the most are those who promote the idea that conspiracy is nothing more than theory, certainly not reality. History tells us otherwise, as does the scripture here in Psalm 2 and elsewhere. This conspiracy is against God and against Christ. The ones so foolhardy to enter into this conspiracy are the kings or rulers or prime ministers or presidents or whoever they may be, dictators of the world who have been duped by Satan to oppose God. Satan has opposed God from the time that he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 and beginning in verse 13. Where it is recorded of, of Lucifer, it says, For how hast thou, thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. In this short passage of scripture, we see the attitude of opposition to God and his established order. And we see the result of such an attitude as well if we look at verse 12 and also verse 15 of the same chapter. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Far from exalting himself, Satan is first cut down to the ground or loses his place in heaven, and he shall be in the future brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. This is a long way from being like the Most High. Ultimately, Satan will be the most low. We know as well from the book of Revelation that Satan first conspired, conspired with and convinced one-third of the angels also uh, to follow him. These angels are sometimes referred to as stars of God in the scripture, and they are cast down to the earth. Revelation chap, uh, chapter 12, verse, starting in verse 3 and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a, red, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew a, the third part of the stars of heaven, those are a third of the angels. And he cast them to the earth, 
And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, which is a direct quote uh, from Psalm 2 as well. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And so the Lord Jesus now sits at the right hand of God. He has been caught up to heaven at his resurrection and his ascension. And he, he ascended up to heaven where he will remain until the, until the rapture of the church where we will, we will meet him in the air. This verse 5 refers to what Psalm 2 directly states as the Lord Jesus will rule, rule the world with a rod of iron. Thus we see the origin of the conspiracy in heaven and the end of it we know as well from the reading in Isaiah chapter 14. When did this conspiratorial attitude begin on earth? At what point? Well, we see the same, the same culprit perpetrating the cons conspiracy on earth as we read in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, We should not eat of it, neither shall we touch it, lest we die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. So now we have God's word on the reality of conspiracy and who it is directed against. We also know the identity of the author of these destructive activities, Satan himself. The human players are, in the words of some, the useful idiots who serve a purpose and will eventually be discarded when their useful service is no longer needed. So what is God's reaction to these schemes and to these schemers? Well, in verse 4, we see what God's reaction is. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. So God's first reaction is laughter, much like the six-foot-tall adult who holds off a raging five-year-old by placing his hand on the child's head, keeping the child at arm's length while the child swings aimlessly into the air and miss, uh, missing his target. So after God's laughter subsides, it says, the Lord will have them in derision. He will have them in confusion. Their schemes will come to nothing. They may even destroy themselves. They will be in so much confusion, they will resemble the person who got on his horse and rode off in all directions. In Psalm 37, starting in verse 12, it says, The wicked plot against the just and gnash upon him with their teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow and cast down the poor and needy, and they slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. So the Lord laughs at the vain efforts of these raging fools who so consistently conspire against his person, his anointed, and his word. 
After deriding them, he makes a divine decree regarding his program for the ages. Starting in verse 5 of Psalm 2. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. The circus is now over. God has humiliated his opposition and now makes a positive declaration of what he has done by way of divine decree. And no one can thwart his decree or alter his plan. In verse 6 we go on. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. At the time of writing Psalm 2, this has yet to take place. God speaks of it as though it is a past reality. He said, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. The king he's talking about here is not King David. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But the Lord Jesus is, is still to come far off in the future. He hasn't been here yet at this point. So this is not a reference to King David, but to Christ himself, and God speaks of it as a past reality. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. God has many sons. He has the stars, the angels of God that he has created. They're called the sons of God in the Old Testament. Also, if you're a believer here today, you are called a child of God. Being male, you are a son of God through belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being female, you're a daughter of God, but we are children of God, having trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has more than one son, but he only has one begotten son. And that begotten son is the Lord Jesus. In verse 7, it says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So now God reveals the outcome of the raging conspiracy against himself and his anointed, his only begotten, the one who sits on, the, on his throne. Ask of me, he is, he's speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ here, ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So God hands them over to his son to deal with. The very ones that the conspirators raged against, the Lord Jesus and God and his word, God simply hands them over to the Lord Jesus to deal with as he will. No big fanfare, no huge battle, no resistance from the opposition, just a casual handing them over. And now we see the end of these conspirators against the Lord and against his anointed. They become the possession of the very one they opposed. And he rules them in justice and puts down all and every opposition to his righteous rule. Now in light of God's irresistible power and might, our gracious God gives a stern warning to all kings, to queens, to rulers, dictators, prime ministers, presidents, all of the various rulers of the world. He says to them in verse 10, Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. In other words, smarten up, like we would say to a child who knows very well what they should do, and they don't. He's telling them, smarten up, wise up, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Serve the one who is rightfully to be served. Serve the one who is the king of kings. Serve the one who sits upon my holy hill of Zion. 
and rejoice in serving him. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, that is to honor him for the honor that he deserves, lest he be angry for your disrespect. And ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. So what should the kings of the earth do with this dire warning given by God for their learning and potential deliverance from judgment? They should heed the warning. As God has always done from the beginning with Adam and Eve, he warned of the consequences before anything took place. He warned Adam and Eve about the consequences if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Meanwhile, everything else in the garden was, was fair game. They could have eaten anything else they wanted. But he told them ahead of time what would happen. <clears throat> Even in the book of Revelation, we see the same thing. We think of Revelation off as often as many judgments coming upon the world at the time of the tribulation. But God still gives warnings in Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 6. <clears throat> it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, to every kindred, to every tongue, and to every people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God! And give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of water. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. But God also does one more thing at the very end. We'll see here how he gave the warning of what was to come, and he pleads with people to actually receive his mercy. At the very end of the psalm, it says to these very conspirators who have designed designs against the Lord and against his anointed, God says that if you actually do this, if you will turn and worship the Son, it says, blessed you will be, you will be blessed. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So God is offering that blessing even to those who oppose him. Even as he pleaded with Cain in the, Garden of, or in the Garden of Eden when Cain had done wrong, God still pleaded with him to come back and to receive the blessing that he could receive if he did what was right. So some will pay attention to the warning, and sadly, some do not. God is gracious in giving the warning nonetheless. God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked, but wants all to turn to him and to be saved. In Ezekiel 33:11, we read this, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your, your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? 
God has established the possibility or opportunity for eternal salvation for all people. Anyone who trusts in Christ to be saved will be saved. The choice is up to each individual. As it was in the beginning with Adam and Eve, and, is it, and as it is and as it was for the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy 30:19, God says this, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your seed may live. I trust that each of us who hear this call of God today will answer with the prophet of old, as recorded in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So while some in our society insist that conspiracies are a nonsensical theory, the scripture states otherwise. We know both the source and the outcome of those who align themselves against God and against Christ. As we are confronted even today with those in authority who shamelessly rage and conspire against God and Jesus Christ, his anointed, we too can laugh at their vain efforts, recognizing that we are already on the winning side of the conflict. We need not fear what man may do to us, but be careful that our laughter is against the efforts and not the people themselves. We are to take the message of salvation to a deceived and dying world that they might be saved. They need to believe on the Lord Jesus, which is to confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, that they, might, that they will be saved. So we who are saved need not gloat, for we too were once as they are. But we have received Christ as our only hope of eternal salvation, even as they must. For there is one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, God's anointed. The Apostle Paul is a great example of one who conspired against God at one point in his life and yet turned to God and was saved. He was mightily used by God as primarily an apostle to the Gentiles, but he did also preach the message of salvation to Jews as well. We recognize as well that he wrote many of the books of the New Testament. He was a very learned man, but he was a deceived man at the beginning. And I'm sure you know of testimonies of other people who at one point were unbelievers who eventually, eventually got saved. I would count myself in that number for the first 24 years or so of my life I was an unbeliever, but I turned to Christ and trusted in the word of God and the promises of salvation and was saved. I'm sure you know other people who have the same testimony. God is ever gracious, so while there is time, we must be about our Father's business, inviting people to trust in Christ and to be saved. May we make opportunity as the Lord directs to offer the gift of eternal salvation to a raging and deceived world which has been duped by Satan to do his bidding. May God's comfort and grace attend each one as we go out from here today. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we offer thanks to you that you are a gracious God. And even as we have seen from the beginning where Adam and Eve turned away from you and yet you offered the, the uh, covering of the clothing that you gave to them as a covering to restore their relationship with you, 
We recognize as well, Lord, we saw as you reached out to Cain, even in his wrongdoing, to turn back to you. He made his choice to turn away. That's his, that's his choice. We recognize as well, Lord, that you even extend a blessing to those who conspire against you. You ask them to turn as you, as you would have them turn to you and trust in Christ to save them. And so, Lord, we pray that even those that we come in contact with, whether it's family members or others that we know, we pray, Lord, that we would be gracious in our presentation of the gift of salvation, recognizing that you do not, you do not glory at all in the death of the wicked, but you want each one to turn to you and be saved. And so we trust you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. I'll close with a benediction from the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 20. Now the God of peace abroad again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.